Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National with me, Alison Balance. Tonight's show is all about shedding light on creatures of the night. I'm off to Landcare Research in Dunedin to meet ecologist Barbara Anderson and taxonomist Robert Hoare. They're part of Ahepepe Mothnet, a citizen science project with a strong Tareo focus. They're collaborating with primary schools around New Zealand to discover what moths are living in their neighbourhoods. And they have a special relationship with a local school, Te Kura Kaupapa Māori o Otepoti. The idea is really to get primary school children engage with moths and to get everyone to think moths are cool again and to get some more distribution data basically for us on what's happening with our New Zealand moths. So moths are really good for ecologists which is what I am. So I'm a quantitative ecologist and what I love is numbers. So numbers that tell us what is where and how much of it's there because then we can see what's happening with populations and moths are great for this because they come to traps and we get the trap information and then we've got a count from the trap and those traps can be standardised across space and across time so different people can be using the same trap now or 50 years ago or 100 years into the future and we can directly compare that data and that's the beautiful thing about standardised trap data and because the trap's doing all that work controlling um, the light and when the light goes on and when the light goes off it doesn't matter who puts the trap out and it doesn't matter if it's a primary school child here at the Te Papa Māori or Ōtipoti or if it's Dr Robert Hoare lepidopterist in Auckland it's the same trap and that's beautiful. Robert can you explain to me what a moth trap is? There are various different kinds of moth traps, but they all rely on this somewhat unexplained attraction of moths for light, which is supposedly something to do with their navigating using the moon and getting confused when they see a light that's actually much closer than the moon. So there are various kinds of lights that are used. The ones that we're using are little actinic lights, which send off a light that's rich in ultraviolet, which seems to be more attractive to the moths. When the moths come towards that light, the light is mounted between some veins, and they fly around the light, they hit the veins, and they go down a little funnel, and the trap is just a little box, which is a little metal box that can be assembled quite easily. In the box there are pieces of egg carton, which they like to settle down on, and they will settle down on during the night and so not flap around and damage themselves and then in the morning usually they're fairly calm and they can be looked at and identified. And as Barbara said you've got little standard light traps. That's right. So it's everyone's a, using the same one. That's right they're, they're, they're called a heath trap and they were developed a, a, a number of years ago and they've been used for this sort of project especially in Europe. And strangely enough the other main kind of moth trap is called a Robinson trap and so, in fact, they weren't invented by Heath Robinson, but, um, <laughs> but by Heath and Robinson. <laughs> anyway, we're using Heath moth traps because what we need is lots of people using the same lights. 
And those people, for us, are primary school children because they are the ones that still have that natural curiosity and they're not afraid of bugs, they're not afraid of moths, they they want to see what's there. And, and because we're working with primary school children, we want a trap that's safe and we want a trap that is easy for them to put wherever. They can take them to the school field, they can take them out to the edge of the hedge, they can take them to their local reserve, they can take them on the farm paddock somewhere. It doesn't have to be connected to mains power. So for us, that's a real huge advantage. So before all of this started, Robert, what did we know about the distribution of moths in New Zealand? Do we know much? We know a fair amount about some species, but I think even for some of the common species the um, information is quite sketchy. And we certainly don't have anything like the number of entomologists in New Zealand that we have um, in, in places like Europe. And we don't have that long history of study that, um, that they've had in, uh, in many of the countries of Europe. And, of course, so much of New Zealand is much more inaccessible. So it's, it's actually harder work. And the other difficulty is that identification of moths here has been hampered because the um, basic study of how many species we've got, um, what the species are, in other words, the taxonomy, has not been fully worked out even for the larger moths. And we're still making discoveries amongst the larger moths of new species, things that, we, that have been actually in museum collections all the time and we didn't realise were, were species. So that discovery is still going on, and that's a big challenge for this project. But we're also hoping that that's something that we can sort of highlight as part of, of this project. Can you put a figure on how many moths we've got in New Zealand? It's um, quite difficult, but um, it's roughly 2,000. And we know that probably around 1,700 of those are named. There's uh, at least two or 300 unnamed species in collections. Of course, we can't estimate how many there might be that have never been even seen and are not yet in collections. And the other thing is is that we don't know how many we're losing. So in the UK, for example, where we know the fauna much better, we do know that lots of species are declining and there's lots of data there so they can actually tell that and they can say what are declining. So there's absolutely no reason to suspect that that same thing is not happening in New Zealand. But because we don't have the data, we can't tell. And, you know, how many birds have gone extinct since humans came to New Zealand. We know that because people look at birds and they write them down. We don't even know, we haven't even named, described all the moths and how many of them have gone extinct and we never knew they existed. There's very real possibility that many, many have because we've had such huge changes in the land use and the environmental change that we've had, you know, the deforestation that has happened post-human and now also with climate change coming. So you can't estimate what you've already lost, but you can create a new baseline and then see what changes happened from here. Yes, yeah, so one of the big questions that we have with this project, especially working with the Te Papa Māori, is why do we need to kill the moths? Why do we need to make the reference collection? And, of course, that's a very good question because the fa- like why we're doing this whole study, why we want to get people enthused about moths, is actually for the benefit of the moths. We want people to care about moths. We want people engaged and appreciating and understanding moths more so that they will want to protect and conserve the moths better. But in order to do that, we need to kill some to make a reference collection. And that is a tricky concept to get around because... 
it seems like we're killing things to conserve them, but we're taking a, a small sample from a population that can handle that. But of course, those biological collections are really, really important. And the only way we have of knowing what was there before is that historical information that is in those biological collections. So Robert was talking before about um, knowing that we have another 300 species that we know we have but haven't been described. We know we have them because they are in collections. They are in museum collections. And the other really great thing about museum collections is that they have a location and a date with them. And they have the specimen. So even if the collector didn't know what they were collecting when they collected it, because the specimen's there, fantastic taxonomists like Robert can go along and he can work out what it was. While we're on the topic of collections, there is actually a box sitting in front of us with some moths in it. Can you just... Describe to me, Robert, what those moths are and tell me where they've come from and what you're doing with them. So these are from um, the local um, Kura Kaupapa Māori Otiputi and um, they were collected a few nights ago. So it's just a representation from a, a little area that's got some native plants, it's got some introduced grasslands and weeds. So it's one night, it's six traps, and it's part of our big um, South Island experiment. So the, the Te Kura Papa Māori or Te Puti are one of our schools from the Ahipepi MothNet project that are, that are taking part in this experiment. How many schools now? Uh, we've got uh, 13, I think, now. Yeah. So, so you've expanded from four? Expanded from four, and then we got a new set of Unlocking Curious Minds funding, so that let us go into the second year, and then we expanded, we had introduced another 10 schools and we've just been told we've got funding for the next year so we'll be able to continue into next summer as well and we'll be able to include some North Island schools next year so that's fantastic. So anyway tell me about these moths. So one of the interesting things about these moths is that these are all native moths and almost all of them are endemic to New Zealand so even in a somewhat disturbed environment you're still getting a high level of really special endemic New Zealand moths and some things which I think I probably wouldn't have necessarily expected to see in that sort of environment, things that I would have expected more in native forests. We've got one or two quite well-known moths like the cabbage tree moth in the middle there and we've got um, some very common species that are well-known in gardens. So we have one that's called Graphania mutans, sometimes called the garden owlet. Part of our project, which we've, we've just introduced, is we're making these badges. But part of the reason for the badges is the SCICOM. So we've got three sets of badges. Um, one set has, is the science collection. It's got the science Latin binomial name on it. And then we've gone through and we've got 13 now with Graphania mutans, which we've given Tereo Māori common names to because we think that for New Zealand endemic moth species, the common names, we think they should be ones that are New Zealand names. And um, the owlet is a kind of a common name for that whole genus, isn't it? Well, or it's more for the whole family, and I think that originated in North America, and it was more for, for moths that had big sort of eye-like markings on the wings. And we don't really have any of those mm. in so, New Zealand, so, the, so ours aren't 
what I think you know you should really be calling owlets. Yeah, and I agree completely with Robert. I think it's a rubbish name for our species. So does it have a Māori name? Now? Yes. So so da da. So so this particular one, it's very common, and it's a nice kind of greyish colour. So we were out collecting, and Georgia said. She's one of the kids. She's one of the kids, sorry, from the the call. So so Georgia is year six this year. And we were sort of saying, oh, you know, have we got a name for this one? And we thought, oh, no, I haven't actually done this one yet. And then Robert was saying it's a very common species, so we need a name that's, you know, quite an easy name. So this one is Kiwi Kiwi. So Kiwi Kiwi is a very common term for grey. And, and the, when Georgia looked at the moth, she said, oh, it looks like an old person. It's got kind of grey, fluffy hair, like an old person. I, I would like to think she was looking at Robert at that point when she was saying that. <laughs> and we thought, well, that's actually a really good name for it. Oh, yes, so Kiwi Kiwi, that's Grafania, and that's much better than Garden Owlet. I think what you can see here, if you look closely, is a lot of them are brown, but if you look closer, you'll see that there are a lot of differences there's a number of different species, and they illustrate quite a few of the things that moths are well known for, camouflage being one of the, one of the main things. So we've got several species um, in this genus, Tometlophota. Robert has one of my favourite moths in his hand there, Tometlophota <laughs> sulcana. That's right. It's one of my favourite moths because it's one of the few that I can reliably <laughs> identify. <laughs> and we've renamed this one. So the Tereo name for this one we've given is Fanariki which means a sort of sulphur-coloured yellow, which I think fits with the, hmm. the delicate yellow f- So it is colouring. a sort of yellow ochreish colour, and it doesn't have very many markings on it apart from a few very neatly placed black spots and a rather a long black streak which runs along the lower edge of the, of the forewing. And even if you didn't really know anything about this moth, by knowing about some overseas moths which have a similar pattern, you would probably guess that it feeds on grasses or something related to grasses because that sort of long, that sort of brown streaked pattern is quite typical of things that feed on grasses and the reason is because they're camouflaged against dried grass blades and grass stems and in fact this one feeds on sedges. And when I say they feed on sedges, of course, I'm talking about the caterpillars. The, the, ad- the adults are, are um, a nectar feeders on flowers. How many species have you got in that box? So we've got about 14 species here. Yeah. And about, what have we got, 52 individuals? That's right. So how often are the kids putting these traps out for you? Some of them, they've put them out for a couple of nights and then looked at the moths but then released them. But for the actual experiment, we're just doing two nights. So the others they kind of look at and then just release them. When, when you go out to the trap in the morning, it's cold and so the moths are really slow. And if you just have the egg carton, take it out of the, out of the net, and quite often you can just get the moth to, ve- if you're really calm, you can get the moth to very quietly just walk up on your fingers and walk over your hand and then you can get a really good look at it without actually touching the moth or the wings we just let the moth decide if it wants to visit with us and have a look at it and then we just take it and release it back put it on some vegetation next to where the trap was out of the way of the birds and let them go back about their business but it's quite nice for the kids to see them up close and then really understand that they're not scary at all Now you said before Robert that these are all endemic species. Are there other sites where you find more introduced moths? 
Yes, usually in urban and suburban environments you'll get quite a lot of introduced moths, especially the further north you go, places like Auckland, there will be a large number of, of introduced moths, and most of those are from Australia, but there are some that are, um, were introduced from Europe in the very early days of European colonisation of New Zealand. But I think it's important also to add there that about 90% of New Zealand moths are endemic, and that is a very high level of endemism. That's one of the highest levels for any group anywhere in the world. So of the approximately 2,000 species in New Zealand, about 90% of them are found nowhere else in the world. And that is quite a staggering statistic. If you compare that to a similar-sized area, the UK, with a similar-sized number of species of moth... I think there are two species endemic to the UK, um, and both of them are, are almost indistinguishable from close relatives on the continent of Europe. Whereas in New Zealand, not only are there endemic species, but there are endemic genera, so that's the next um, taxonomic level up, the genus. So there's endemic genera, whole groups of moths that are endemic, and there's even one or two endemic families of moths, so things that, are, that have really no close relatives elsewhere in the world and are, and are highly unique. So we have a really highly extraordinary moth fauna in this country, not... Not a huge moth fauna in terms of number of species, but very unusual. But again, that's not a huge number in terms of number of species for moths. Mm. But of course, it's ten times the number of species of birds that we have here. So there are about 200 bird species in New Zealand and about 2,000 moth species. And that, you know, and how many practicing moth taxonomists do we have in New Zealand? Outside of this room, none. So, yeah, it's kind of... I think we need to, to, to put things in perspective. We need, we need to love our moths more. Do the kids like the moths? The kids love the moths. It's amazing. Like, I think that, that people think moths are scary, they fly at you at night and you can't see them, but actually, I think that's the adults talking... That's not kids. Kids love the moths, and they appreciate the colours in them. I think when you get close up to them, because the thing is when you see them at night, it's dark, and there's a bright light, and the moths are all freaked out because they don't know what's happening with this bright lights everywhere, and so they're a bit confused. Actually, if you're all calm and quiet, and you're sitting there in the grass, and you've got this beautiful creature walking across your hand, and you can see... Because moths have got this amazing thing with the scales on the wings, so it gives them this whole rich kind of satin velvet look to them where they've got this real three-dimensional thing, and pictures just don't do it justice because, you see... And the, the thing about moths also is because they're mainly at night, people really don't see them, and so that's why they get so underrated. But also because they're mainly at night the colours on them are very sensitive to UV. You know, it fades your curtains, it fades your furniture, but it fades the moths as well. And so that colouring on them, on their scales, on their wings, that disappears very quickly. So when you see the moths you know, caught in your lights or caught in your, tri in your car windows or, or whatever, they have lost a lot of the beauty of the live creature. And I think the kids just love that. And I think they really can see them and appreciate them. And seeing that on their faces is an amazing thing to see. What do you like about moths? I think it's the mystery, in a way. I think the fact that they are poorly known, they are a lot more beautiful than they give them credit for. 
and a lot of them have got extraordinary metallic patterns. There are day-flying moths that have uh, amazing, amazing colours and patterns on them. And I think also they have been, as Barbara was hinting at earlier, there's been this sort of almost a, a colonial attitude to them in, in New Zealand that the early taxonomists in New Zealand were all from England, basically. And um, they tried to lump the New Zealand moths into genera that they knew, into groups that they understood from Europe. Now that you come back to look at them more closely, we're finding that, in fact, they're not at all related. That's fascinating. It's always You're always uncovering something different in New Zealand. You're always feeling like a bit of a pioneer. Playing the very long game, Robert, would you hope perhaps that one or two or three of these kids who are working on this MothNet project at the moment might be inspired to become entomologists might be inspired to be your successors in the moth taxonomy field. Oh, we're hoping for more than that. <laughs> yes. I mean, the really important thing is that I think, first of all, yes, it would be wonderful if there were some entomologists, some professional entomologists that came out of this project. But I think it's never going to be the case in New Zealand, or at least not for many, many years, that we're going to have a lot of professional entomologists and a lot of professional lepidopterists. I think what's more realistic is that there will be a lot of um, enthusiasts about moths. And actually, it is incredible what you can do without, you know, being based at a museum or a research institute. You can do an enormous amount at home. And once you become familiar with moths, there are a lot of people overseas who are brilliant and know an enormous amount about moths. And they're doing almost everything that I do in my job at home as amateur entomologists. And that kind of enthusiasm is what has allowed countries like Britain to get such an incredible knowledge of their moth fauna. So that's what I'm hoping for in New Zealand, is that we can get this sort of army of enthusiasts together, whether they're professional or amateur, people who have the drive and the enthusiasm, who begin to see moths as being something amazing, something varied, something beautiful that they can study and that they can contribute to the knowledge of. And of course there's lots of different levels. So so we hope that out of these, you know, several hundred students by now, I mean, what are we up to? We must be up to about five hundred students that have been involved in the project. And out of that we hope that yes, there'll be a couple that take it on and become, you know, the entomologists and then maybe another dozen become, you know, amateur enthusiasts. But actually all of those kids now have a greater appreciation for moths. They all know that there are about 2,000 species of moths in New Zealand and about 90% of them are endemic to New Zealand and that means that they occur nowhere else in the world. And just having those children know that, they go home, they tell their parents, that's success for me, is that just that raised awareness in the whole public of how amazing moths are and that they are something that's special and something to be treasured, that is success already. That was ecologist Barbara Anderson from Landcare Research and you also heard from her colleague, moth expert Robert Hoare. To find out more about the Ahe Pepe MothNet project, check out the links on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Don't forget, we're also on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science.